I'm sure is uh, thinking about us this morning. For you that don't know, Norm had an operation on last Thursday, so uh, we prayed for him, and he didn't think he was going to be here this morning, but um, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him come in. So he is recovering, and uh, I've reached out to him by text uh, or email, and uh, I, I think he's doing okay. And uh, so we'll probably see him next Sunday. So um, that's where Norm is. Kathy and Lonnie, I think, are on their way back from Colorado, I think, right, Julie? Uh, there, as we heard this morning. Uh, so they'll be traveling most of the day today, I can imagine, as the flights, uh, you know, are on time. Beautiful day out there. So thank God there's no winter storms or nor'easters coming. So we expect them to see them a little bit later in the week. And uh, just a couple of announcements. On this Friday, uh, we're going to hear all about the trip to Israel, so that'll be pretty cool. And uh, if you'd like to hear about the Middle East and what's going on in Israel, and uh, Kathy was saying uh, there were some places that were really moving, and uh, other places were just kind of really cool. And uh, as the Holy Spirit kind of started to reveal things to them as they were walking the streets where Jesus walked, you know, and saw the things that Jesus might have seen and touched some of the things that Jesus might have touched. And uh, so they uh, very much want to take us all to Israel. And uh, later this year, uh, they're trying to put together a trip. And um, so it'll be at the end of December and first part of uh, the end of November, the first part of December. And uh, we're uh, this Friday, we'll hear more about that as, as their trip, as they share pictures and stories and, you know, things they saw and were very moved by and the people that they met and so on. So please come. Uh, it is a, a potluck, uh, so we'll start at 6 o'clock. And uh, fellowship on the other side a little bit. If you can't make it at 6, we'll try and do a really good job of staying on schedule and start uh, the discussion over here about 7 I know Kathy is going to want to tape it, so if you uh, can't make uh, either time, uh, we will record it, and uh, we'll try and do the best job we can of of maybe even getting a video so you can see uh, different things that she wants to share, uh, both Kathy and Lonnie. There are some things over on the table here uh, that she talked about last Sunday, and so if you haven't seen that, it's pretty cool, Uh, some of the maps and things. Uh, are what the region looks like and uh, the places that they went. So please come this Friday, uh, 6 o'clock, for uh, potluck and fellowship, and uh, we'll get uh, things kind of converted over, and we'll uh, try and uh, get Kathy and Lonnie uh, going by 7. So I would think it would be an hour or so on Friday night. Uh, So probably out of here by 8 o'clock-ish. Uh, depending on whether we have a thousand questions or not. And, uh, you know, they always tell me, Sean, when you go into these meetings, don't ask any questions. You always run over. Well, okay. So, but anyway, so that's something to look forward to. And uh, JC uh, will share a little bit. Where is he? Ah, there he is over there. Are you, see, you know how you used to see in people sit in particular chairs? And it's like when we were all in first grade and the teacher came in and said, sit down, and that was like your desk for until you went to a new class. I kind of thought, well, anyway, never mind. <laughs> I want to welcome this morning, uh, I think it's Charles and Rand, right? Did I get that right? All right. They're from the Upper Valley, 
And um, so they are with us this morning. Welcome uh, to our family this morning. Always good to see new faces. And uh, the Lord is building out his camp. And so welcome this morning. And uh, this is our family. So uh, praise the Lord. And uh, so let me see. Down through my notes here. YWAM, we've done uh, announced that. Chelsea on the 16th through the 20th. Uh, JC is going to share on Lou Ingalls. And uh, praise the Lord. Amen? All right. Let's, uh, I want to share with you this morning uh, something that I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks. You know how, how you, you start hearing uh, a word from the Lord and it's very subtle and very soft and you're like, okay. And that was like, uh, Sean, I want to tell you, I want you to read the story of Hadassah. And I'm like, okay. And so a day or so went by and heard it again. And this was a couple weeks ago. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. If I was to rank all the stories in the Bible about uh, comebacks and turnarounds and covenant blessings, that would be one of my top, you know, dozen stories. And so I went to bed early that night, and I read uh, the story about Hadassah, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm seeing some things I haven't seen before, and uh, boy, it really kind of relates to the season that we're in. And uh, then I heard it again uh, uh, several days later, Sean, go, go read the story of Hadassah. And, and so I'm okay, and, and you may know that as As- the story of Esther, um, but her name was Hadassah as she was... Uh, as she was um, growing up with her uncle. We don't know much about her um, mom and dad, as it's not recorded, uh, but the way the story is told, she was raised by an uncle who happened to be Mordecai, and um, uh, we know that she was a very beautiful young lady uh, as she was growing up under uh, Mordecai's guidance and, and so on. And uh, so I was thinking about it again, and I thought to myself, wow, it started to really impact me now as I was reading this story, maybe the third time. And uh, I was, uh, got a text message from Kathy this last week of, of uh, you know, I was talking to Norm about uh, the story of Esther last week. And I don't know, Sean, there's just something going on here about Esther. And I'm like, yeah, wow, that's really cool. I was reading about that too. And let's see how that unfolds and let's see what the Lord's going to do in the next few days and weeks. And uh, so I thought, well, I I need to put a little research into this. And at the end of the story, uh, it says that they, um, as I'll kind of outline it this morning, but at the end of the story, uh, they held a feast, a feast of Purim. And uh, I wish Norm were here because he could give us more insight on on how the Jewish folks and the people celebrated this. But as it's recorded in the Word, uh, they brought gifts to one another, and they uh, held this as a feast perpetually. So every year they would remember what the Lord did for the nation at that time. And I was wondering, well, I wonder when that would be today, because it tells us exactly uh, where it is in relationship to, to Passover. And so it's amazing what Google knows. How many of you Google things? And Google is like amazing. So I'm like Googling, you know, Feast of Purim, and up it comes, and it happens to be next weekend. And I thought that was really pretty cool in the way the Lord establishes things. So it's going on and on, and I'm like, okay, 
Lord, sometimes I'm not the brightest, you know, hearing your voice the clearest, but you're saying something here, and I want to press in. So I went to read the story again, and maybe the third or fourth time, I don't know, I'm losing count, but the third time maybe, and, um, and I even read it again last night. And, and then I get this email from Kathy, and it's a pretty long email, and it tells about um, an email thread that's going kind of around the nation with people that we know, and it starts with Lou Ingalls that JC will share in a little bit, but then it went to John and Dana Roman uh, and different ones, and uh, it's it's on uh, the story of Esther. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Sean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fast three days here. There are some really important things going on in my life personally, uh, and in our community, in our church, and in our nation. And uh, I'm gonna fast for three days this week. And uh, I'm thinking, this word is just for me. But as these things unfolded all throughout the last several weeks, I came to realize, God, you're not only speaking to me, you're speaking to hundreds or thousands of people that can hear your voice and are called according to your purposes, that are called according to your will, whom you love, and you want to transform and change the atmosphere. So we came out of tabernacles and... Uh, way of knowing that God wanted the atmosphere to change. The first night, if you remember, uh, proclamation, the atmosphere must change. And I've said that a few different times over the past couple of months. And we've had the the prophetic word come about um, comebacks and turnarounds. And we've had just recently, even last week, uh, covenant blessings. And so I'm beginning to understand that there's a theme here that the Lord wants to have us participate in. And so as I kind of recount the story this morning, um, Hadassah was a young individual that was raised, as I said, by Mordecai uh, in the ways of the Lord. And, uh, you know, the story kind of begins to unfold as the king is having a a party, a banquet, and... uh, they were, uh, the story was lasting for uh, weeks, and uh, 70 weeks, I believe, if I uh, remember the story correctly. And they were uh, drinking wine and uh, making merry, and, and we know that the king at one point wanted to bring the queen, Vashti, before him. She was also very beautiful, and she was all adorned with her, king, her queen garments and her crown, and uh, she was also holding uh, a feast uh, with the ladies and the women of the palace. And uh, as the story begins to unfold, uh, she didn't want to come before the king. Uh, she said, no, I'm not going to obey. And so as it turns out, uh, ex- uh, fast-forwarding the story a little bit, uh, she lost her crown that uh, she wouldn't obey the king. And she was replaced by another. Uh, and so the king got the wise men together and the counselors. This is in the region of Persia, by the way. Persia was an enormous, uh, very influential, very economic uh, center of the world at that time, much like the United States is today. Persia, uh, the wealth and the prosperity, the economic uh, center of focus, uh, very, very grand influence throughout the world. And so this wasn't just a little happening. This wasn't just a, a little 
uh, thing playing out in a remote region. This was playing out on a world stage that, uh, that people knew about. And so as Esther, uh, as uh, Esther, uh, so anyway, the king uh, is uh, looking for a new queen. And so they summoned all of the beautiful ladies of the land and they brought them together and they put them in the king's palace and uh, 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 ministered to them with oils and fragrance for a year. Uh, the Persian uh, custom at that time was you just didn't uh, come before the king, that there was a, a grand preparation to be prepared to come before the king, even uh, well before uh, the time when Esther went in. And so as the story begins to unfold, I want to liken that to our nation today, that the United States is is in all likelihood the greatest nation on the, on the earth that's the greatest influence uh, made up of many peoples. And we know that the, the story is told in that day uh, with real people, but in this day it's being told by the Spirit, being told uh, in the spiritual realm. Amen. And so as we are back onto the story, uh, how many of us have found Christ? Uh, the King, the Lord of Lords, and how, and when we first found Him, how awe, in awe and wonder that we were, that this relationship, how could it have been so long for me to find the Lord and to be able to uh, have a, a conversation with Him? And perhaps that was like Esther was. She was renamed at the time. It was uh, forbidden for uh, Jewish uh, descent to marry a Persian king. It would be similar today, uh, very likely to be mixing a Christian man with uh, some other religion, uh, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism. Or it's, just, it's just not, the circles don't, uh, they're, they're not, they don't coincide. And so uh, Hadassah's name back then was a, a, a Jewish name. And Mordecai knew that there was destiny in this young child and that he renamed her uh, Esther, being a Persian name. And uh, so really, since day one in the beginning, Esther had some secrets. Uh, Hadassah had some secrets. And I can only imagine, uh, as the story goes on and tells about her, how humble that she was. And she probably didn't want to obey Mordecai and and go to the palace and be part of the king's you know, harem or be selected, even have an opportunity to be selected as queen. Uh, she probably didn't want that. She probably didn't want to be elevated to a place. But we know this, the way the story is told, God is orchestrating the events of every day. God is orchestrating the events of this story to play out in a time and in a place amongst a certain people. But we also know that God does things over and over and over again in similar ways, telling the same story through a different people in a different time. And I believe that the story of Esther is about to play out on a national stage again and on a worldwide stage again. And while that... Uh, is taking out on a national stage or in a, in a very public kind of way. I also believe that it's playing out in a very personal and a very intimate way amongst the people that are called by his name. 
And so as the story goes, she was prepared for a year with uh, different fragrances and spices and uh, her skin was uh, with oils and, and so on. And the, uh, the women were, as they were being prepared, they were going into the king to see if they would please the king and who would be the next queen. And the, really the fear of the Lord being in their midst, I can only imagine uh, the king of Persia looking for a new queen and how, how lots of anxiety and lots of unsettledness might be. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you think it was an exciting time, and it probably was, but the way I relate to the story, a fearful time, uncertain of the future, uncertain of what's going to become of this nation, my family whom I love, Mordecai who raised me, uh, and everything that I knew, my God, and now being handed into Persian hands and uncertain about what the outcome will be. But so we know the night came that Esther was to go into the king and uh, the favor of the king came upon Esther and she became the one that was selected. And I say to you, you know, when we're finding the secret place with the Lord, it can be a very fearful place. It can be a place where you're not quite sure. I've experienced in my secret time with the Lord behind the closed doors, when he comes near, I find myself being very quiet and not knowing how to act or not knowing what to say, not knowing how to, how to structure myself and almost feeling a little afraid. And then his presence comes and he says, peace. It's me. It's just me. Just me. Yeah, just you. The king of the universe whom has come near to fellowship and to share his heart and his passion and his desire. Yes, it's you. But how holy you are. How amazing you are. How magnificent you are. And perhaps Esther thought something similar as she went into the king, looking at the king's palace, looking at the king's treasuries and the splendor of who he was, influence, influential all over the world, have communication with people and, and counselors and armies and guards and how overwhelming that must have been. And so well, we know that the story progresses and Esther is chosen as his as his queen and the crown is set upon her head and she's beginning to uh, experience what it means to be a queen. Just the same way that you're experiencing the same thing and learning what it is to be a Christian, a son of the living God. You're learning how to come before him in the secret places. You're learning how to capture his heart, the things that he's thinking about on a daily basis the things that he's orchestrating. He says, I do nothing in my kingdom, but I first reveal it to the prophets and my people first. And you're a people who are beginning to see the orchestrations of the hand of the Lord as you're praying in the secret place and you're starting to understand how the pieces of the bride are coming together and how the pieces are beginning to fit. We saw the skeleton church a few months ago 
knowing that every bone supplies and every joint supplies and every hand and toe and every uh, presentable thing and not presentable. You're learning how to be part of the bride. Just so was Esther learning how to be the queen in a Persian empire that reached the corners of the earth. What an amazing time that must have been for Esther. But she had a secret. Remember the secret. Her name was Hadassah, and she was a Jew. The story goes along, and it turns out that there's a man named Haman who is a descendant of a King Agag who was killed years before. And as the, as the, as the Lord gives uh, over the, the adversary to the people, there was a woman who slipped away that was pregnant. And the Lord said to kill all of the people under Agag, the king. And they did that. And the story is told and unfolds. But there was one woman who got away that was pregnant. And the line of Agag continued through Haman, through a wicked man who knew witchcraft. And he knew how to manipulate. And he knew how to orchestrate and get into high places. And he found his way into the palace, right-hand man of the king. And the king uh, saw him as a friend and saw him as somebody that he could confide in. And the, pro- the trouble is this man had an arrogant streak and a prideful streak mixed in with places of witchcraft and rebellion and wicked places. And, uh, and so as the story un- uh, is, continues to be told, Haman is out in the streets one day and he walks by Mordecai and Mordecai refuses to bow to him. Now he is represented by the king. And as, he, as the king and his associates are walking through the streets, it was the custom and really the law at that time that you'll pay homage to the king and his men. But Mordecai didn't. Mordecai wouldn't bow. Mordecai represents the Jewish people at that time, Israel, the sons. And so what is there in your life that you've been asked to participate in because it's the custom of the age? Good things will be called bad and bad things will be called good. Wicked things will be pleasurable and evil things and and holy things will be despised. What is there in your life that you've been asked to participate in then you're standing the ground because God says when you've done all that there is to do, stand. And you've done all that you've known how to do. You've prayed, you've fasted, you've sought the Lord, you've shut yourself in the secret place. You're doing what God has asked you to do. Well, in his day, Mordecai was doing what the Lord asked him to do. He wasn't compromising who his God was in his heart. He wasn't compromising who he knew him to be, of who he was raised under, and the principles and the laws of the Lord. And he refused to bow to Haman. But Haman, because he's a wicked man, and because he was engaged in all kinds of evil plots, it somehow got him aggravated more than all other things. And it becomes his focus, his single focus in life, to destroy Mordecai. And so he's going home and he's talking to his friends and he's talking to his household and he's talking to the people 
Well, I don't know about you, but it seems like to me the amount of witchcraft that has increased in these days against the sons of the living God has increased. And it has been more substantial and harder to maintain and just stand. Well, Haman went and he eventually called uh, an audience with the king as he did so frequently. And he says, there's a people in this land who don't recognize you and they don't obey your laws. Is there a people in this land that are being accused today? There are things being taken out of places that have been in place long generations for uh, foregoing the laws of God, for uh, determining that the the principles of the fabric of our nation need to be rewritten into different strategies. Well, the same was true in his day. Haman goes before the king, and he convinces the king there's a people who don't recognize you and they don't recognize your laws. If it pleases the king, I'll give a tremendous amount of money, thousands of talents of silver, gold, into the king's treasury in payment for destroying this people. He had such influence with the king, the king agreed. The king agreed that on a certain time and on a certain day, all of the people would be destroyed and killed. He writes it in a letter, and he causes the king to seal it. Now when something was sealed by the king's signet ring in those days it become law and even the king couldn't reverse his own decree even the king couldn't reverse his own decree and so the word was sent out to all of the surrounding regions and all of the communities and all of the places what had been decreed by the king that on a certain day all of the Jewish people would lose their lives that the king's army and their guards and the household would certainly obey the king because the king was the king. So Mordecai begins to wail and moan at the city gate and Esther finds out that uh, this man is out there and she goes out and she asks him. So jumping ahead in the story a little bit, uh, Mordecai ends up saying to... uh, the servant of Esther, Hadassah, that went out to talk and find out why Mordecai is in ashes and sackcloth and wailing and crying out at the city gate. And at that time, they had already had a few exchanges of, of information through the servant of Esther. And the servant comes back, and at that time, the way the story is written you think that Esther, with her queenly uh, position, expects to be saved from the slaughter of her people. And so, so uh, Mordecai sends her word that says, don't think that if you don't rise up and try to do something, don't you think that you're going to be saved, but you and your father's household will certainly perish and God will rise up another. That's the word that's back to Mordecai, uh, back to Esther. And so uh, Mordecai isn't sure. He's doing everything that he knows how to do, but he's standing. 
He's standing in a place believing that his God is going to somehow, either through Esther or another, bring deliverance because God has always delivered his people. And I believe that there is a deliverance happening in our day, even, even, to, even in this season of time that we're in, where the story of Esther plays out on a national level. But it also plays out on a very personal and intimate level. How many times the battle can't be won in the natural It was one in the natural in that day so that we would understand there's a type and a shadow that the Lord is speaking about for a future time and a future generation. There's no natural force or government or party, Republican or Democrat, that can save and alter the course of our nation, of the world. The battle can't be won in the natural. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And this story is told that we would have a chance to understand what our role is. How are we to participate? How are we to pray? How are we to position ourselves? And so, as I said, Esther was of Jewish descent. But it was a secret. Mordecai says, don't you think that if you don't try and deliver the people, don't you think that your life is going to be spared? The Lord will rise up another. And so uh, the word comes back to Esther, Hadassah, and she hears the words of Mordecai through her servant. And she knows because he's a godly man and was raised by her all of the years of her youth, she knows it's true. And so she begins to have that burden for her people, a burden for her family, a burden for her nation. And then as the story is told, she tells her servant, we're going to fast and pray for three days without bread or water in hopes that the Lord would do something. Go and tell Mordecai to gather all of the people and do the same. So the servant goes back out to Mordecai and tells Mordecai what Esther has asked him to do. And so Mordecai obeys and he goes back to his family and he goes back to the, com- the nation really which was at that time the community of the Jews. And they pray and they fast for three days. Now there is a decree of the king that can't be changed by, the, by an, an, a second decree. And so the story continues that uh, Esther is going to go before the king and ask the king personally. But she doesn't know what to ask yet. And so she spends three days trembling and in fear and very concerned because the Persian Empire at that time meant that you can't just go to the king. You may be the queen of the king. But the laws of the Persians at that time were such that if you come before the king while he is on his throne, two things are going to happen. One of two things. You will either lose your life, which is the most probable. You will either lose your life because you dared to come before the king unannounced and uninvited. 
And the laws of the land at that time were very clear, and everybody knew it. Or you would be granted your request up to half of his kingdom. What a dramatic difference. What, a, what an incredible difference. Either lose your life and lose everything, and possibly your family, or granted half of the rulership of the entire Persian Empire. Can you imagine? Talk about fear. Talk about trembling. This story is told in a way because of the access that you have today into the throne room of God. It's a fearful place to stand before the presence of the Lord. But every single one of you are invited through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you are invited into that king anointing, into that authority. And so as the day came, Esther went into the king. And she was there trembling. And as the courts of the king were at that time, you could see the courts of the king all the way down a great hall to the door. And across the door on the other side of the compound was the king's palace where he lived. And this was his view. And now all of a sudden, all the way down the corridor, Esther comes in her finest robes. And she steps out behind the door to see the king. And the king sees her. At that moment of time, one of two decisions was going to be made. The king was either going to order that she lose her life, or the king was going to accept her and extend his scepter to her and invite her to come to his throne. So as the story turns out, the king held out his royal scepter. Now a scepter in those days was basically a rod, uh, so long it was or, ornate with ornaments and jewels. It represented the authority of the king. It represented who he was in the land. And he held out the scepter to Esther. And I can only imagine Esther trembling as to trying to take all of the steps, all of the journey needed to go to the presence of the king. And she bowed down and she touched the tip of the scepter. And she humbled herself. And the king said, Why do you come before me today? What is your request? What do you want me to grant you? It's yours up to half of my kingdom. In other words, there's nothing under my authority or under my knowledge or domain that I won't give you. Ask anything that you will. And she said, if it pleases the king that you would come to a banquet that I will prepare for you. And so as the story continues, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, but the king accepts, I'll be there. And she said, I would like Haman to come also, the man who had convinced the king to kill her family. And so the story continues, and uh, she prepares a, a meal, a banquet, and she says, oh, king, if it please, that you would come to another banquet tomorrow. And so there was a second banquet. And the king comes, and he said, what is it that you have been waiting to ask me? You've gone to all this trouble, all this, you're my queen, I love you, I, you're valuable to me. The Lord is saying the same thing to the sons. 
You're valuable to me. I love you. There isn't anything that I wouldn't do for you. There isn't anything. I would move heaven and earth. I I would leave the hundred to go and find the one that's lost. I love you with a passion. The same passion that I had for my son. I gave my son so that we could have this relationship restored as it was in the garden. I love you. So the king says to Esther, what is it that you want? You can have anything that you want, up to half of what I have in the entire Persian uh, nation. Our God is an amazing God. We have made him too small in our eyes. So the story unfolds and it says, save my life. I ask for my life. I don't need the riches. I don't need the gold. I don't need the land. I don't need the armies. I'm asking you for my life. The king says, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? When you got saved before the Lord, you came to the Lord and you said, Lord, I exchange my life for yours. Would you make something out of me? Because I've tried. I've tried. And I keep failing over and over again. God, I'm giving you my life to do what it is with it that you want. You see, there are, t- there are shadows and, and parallels with this story with Esther in our life, with where we are today. And it's intended to tell us and encourage us the authority that we have with God and the love and the passion that he has for us. And so the king says to Esther, what are you talking about? What, what is this? Save your life. Who would dare come against What nation of the earth would dare and come against my queen that I've selected that's under my authority? And so she reveals the story. The Jewish people of which I am a descendant have been ordered by your own decree. And this man, this wicked Haman, who is standing here in the midst, you see, God is turning around the stories today, the things that were impossible, the comebacks and turnarounds, blessings, covenant blessing, Kathy said. Covenant blessings. There was a covenant between the queen and the king. There's a covenant between you and Jesus Christ that you've given your life for. That covenant he's defending by his authority, by his word. And he, wants to, and he wants you to participate in his kingdom. And so we understand that prayer and fasting of three days brought the wisdom and the understanding of, of Esther to know how to go. And so uh, the king can't believe that Haman would do such a thing. And the wise men are there and the council of the king is there. And the king goes out of the room in a rage. He can't believe what's taking place. How can I have been tricked this way? 
Haman stays behind and, is, and Queen Esther is at this time sitting on the couch and Haman is pleading for his life across his, the couch with his body. The king comes back in and says, are you going to assault the king's queen in my presence? How dare you? And so somebody spoke up and said, the very, uh, at Haman's house, there is a gallows that he erected 75 feet tall. 75 feet. The arrogance of this man wanted to kill Mordecai so badly that he determined, and I'm leaving huge parts of the story out, but wanted to kill Haman, wanted to kill Mordecai and built a gallows at his house 75 feet tall. That was the arrogance of this man. He wanted the entire nation, the entire region of of Persia, to understand that Haman was pulling the strings. Haman was determining the end by his own decision. He wanted it to be a public display of uh, murder to the Jewish people. He wanted the entire region, the entire world to know it. The devil is setting up things in the day that we're in, and he wants the entire world to know that he's pulling the strings. But we serve a God. We serve a king who cannot be overthrown, who cannot be overruled. And so somebody speaks up and says, There's a gallows already built at his house, 75 feet tall. And the king gave the order to hang Haman on his own gallows. So the very thing that the adversary intended to destroy the people of God was turned back upon his own head by prayer and fasting and the courage of God's people. And so Esther goes before the king and said, Issue a second decree that the Jewish people can defend themselves. Issue a second order. And so they draft the order. They get all of the king's, uh, all of the king's counselors together. They discuss it, and he seals it. So now the king and his entire army and the king's entourage is now for the Jewish people. So now the entire story turns around. And on the day that they were supposed to be destroyed, killed, murdered, the favor of the Lord comes upon the Jewish people and they killed over 75,000 people. And not one of the Jewish people lost their lives. Come back and turn around. God's way. God's way. We're in a season of time Right now, I believe, with the direction of our nation, the direction as us as individuals. How many times have you operated out of fear, woken up in the middle of the night in sweaty, hot sweats, where you've walked in fear? You know you're not supposed to. The Lord says, fear not. But it's hard to overcome on your own. It's hard to overcome with your own knowledge and your own strength unless the Lord do something. Anxiety, fear, depression, unclean spirits, jealousies, seducing spirits. 
These things plague the people of God. They plague God's people. And I believe that we're in a season of time where Esther's playing out in our lives as personal, individual sons of the living God. Called to co-reign under the authority of Christ as his bride. As the one that God said, I give you all authority. In heaven and earth is given unto me, and I'm giving it to you. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And my word surely goes out, he says in Psalms, like the rain and the snow coming down out of heaven, so too is my word. It comes down out of heaven and it waters the earth and causes it to bring forth and bud and bring seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So too my word goes out of my mouth and accomplishes what I intend it to accomplish, does not return to me void, but first having accomplished what I sent it out to accomplish. That's the authority that the bride of Christ is beginning to understand, is beginning to be anointed with and empowered with. And so as I begin to close, Mordecai was given Haman's house, all of his wealth and valuable things, and he became the second most important man in all of Persia for the rest of his life while he walked on this earth. You are the second most important person as the bride of Christ walking on this earth, second only to the Godhead, only to Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of authority that I believe the church is being awakened to, birthed into, understanding, loosed from heaven. And so as the story completes in Esther, they said that they wanted to remember this day for generations ongoing. And so they held a feast to celebrate what God had done to in and through their lives. And they called it the Feast of Purim. And that happens to be next weekend. And so as we go through and see the hand of the Lord orchestrating the events of the earth through His bride, I believe that the principalities and the powers of the year who have come to plague the bride, to rob her of her authority, to rob her of, to pervert and twist who she is in the earth. I believe that if we pray and fast for three days this week, I believe that there's a greater anointing that's released from heaven by the Lord himself. So I'm going to pray and fast. I know Kathy and Lonnie, they're hard and and hundreds of people all over the nation, uh, all over the world. And so as JC comes up to explain uh, what's going on through, um, through a man who is hearing the voice of the Spirit. So if you uh, feel led to, 
Uh, we're not going to put our names on a paper and look at us. This is each one going before the Lord, petitioning the Lord, let there be breakthrough. Let the hand of the Lord break through the camp of the enemy, break through every place of division, every place of resistance, every unclean spirit, every demonic spirit, every single perverse spirit, every deaf and dumb spirit, every spirit of jealousy. God, may it be destroyed. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. I'm getting pretty heavy here. I, I don't know how to lighten it up. This is a joyous time because God is revealing who He is to us as individuals. He's saying, I want to do something in the earth through my people. And we're having YWAM come and explain to us in living color what's happening in Thailand and all over the world, all over the region. And so I don't want you to think that this is, an, as J.C. is explaining what's going on here, don't think it's a, someplace far away. No, one individual changed the course of an entire Persian nation, which was the greatest nation at that time. One will put a thousand, two, ten thousand. And I don't know how many lights we put together if we all join together. The number's like some crazy billions of numbers or something. I don't know. So, all right. Here you go. How many of you have felt for a while now that there's something going on in the spirit? There's a move going on in the spirit and the Lord's about to do something. How many of you have felt that lately? Okay, pretty much everywhere. It's a sensation similar. I don't know if you remember the 80s, but there was a similar move that was going on and folks felt like the Lord was coming back. Well, it didn't turn out to be that. It turned out to be the Lord was cleaning his house. Okay? I don't know what kind of move we're having right now, but the Lord is moving. Uh, last night I turned on the television and uh, TBN was on. And how many people know Jonathan Kahn? No? You do? A few of them? Okay. Uh, he wrote the book about the mystery of uh, the Twin Towers coming down and what all of that means, okay, and several other things. Um, well, he was on last night. And he was telling the story that in um, 2008, 2007, 2000, in that time frame, Cuba had announced that they were um, turning to freedom and they were inviting some folks to come and preach in their nation for a month. He gets a call and says, uh, they tell him, we want you to come. He goes, okay. He asks the Lord, what am I supposed to preach on? What am I supposed to tell them? It's time for Jubilee. What? In Cuba? Jubilee is when everything, all accounts, uh, slaves are all released. I mean, so he goes, freedom. So he goes, okay. So he's in Cuba for a month preaching Jubilee. Um, Fidel Castro comes to see him because he's not real happy with what's going on, but, you know, it's his decree, so he lets it go on. 
a little bit before the month is over and he's about to leave, there's some folks that approached him and they said, uh, there's a saying here that's been going on for a lot of years that there's a Jewish person who's going to come on our mountain where our gods are and he's going to blow the shofar and that's going to break the yoke that's on the island. And he goes, oh, okay. So he goes up to the mountain and as he gets to the mountain, there's an individual there that says, hello, Jonathan, we've never met, but I've known you for years. And he shows him a plate. It's Jonathan on the plate blowing a shofar. So it's like, okay. So they go through the ceremony. He blows a shofar. Nothing spectacularly happens. So he leaves and he comes back to the United States. Here's the interesting part. That night or that day, they had taken the plate and hung it into the area where all the Cuban gods were, including the god from the house of Castro. And the plate's hanging there. The leather string that's holding the plate breaks. The plate falls onto the god of Castro's, the house of Castro, breaks its head. Now the part that hit the god was the shofar on the plate. And it's on the ground. Now a couple of years later was the year of Jubilee. Well, the day Jubilee is when Fidel Castro stepped down from Cuba. Okay, so things are moving. There are some things going on in the earth where the Lord is moving, and I'm looking forward to hearing the story from YWAM, okay, about what's going on. We're being called right now because of some things going on in this country. That's what the letter is about. You remember the day after Trump was um, sworn in as President of the United States? There was a thousands of women all over the place that were shown on TV protesting against Trump and against the Christian agenda. Okay? And then about a week or two later, there was a call for all sorcerers and um, those in the occult to start doing whatever is necessary to get rid of the Christians and Trump. I don't know if any of you have seen the news articles, but I've seen them. There's a call. It's an Esther call. Three days. Same exact thing. Okay? Now, this has been going on for a little while, so it's kind of interesting that they're all coinciding together. The ladies are being asked to fast for three days, Wednesday through Sunday night. Now, fasting. What's fasting? Fasting is denying yourself something, okay? Uh, most of us think about skipping a meal or that kind of stuff. If you're just skipping a meal, that's not fasting. Okay, it might be good for your diet and your waist, but that's not fasting. The time that you're denying yourself, you need to be spending with the Lord. It's not just saying, all right, I'll give up TV and I'll go do something else. 
or we're going to fast for supper, so I'm just going to go to bed early. That may be good for you, but that's not fasting, okay? That time frame that you fast is you set aside to spend with the Lord. That's where the power and the energy is. So the ladies have been asked, the daughters of Esther, have been asked to fast from Wednesday night to Saturday. Men, we need to do the same thing to support our ladies. Okay, so we should be fasting as well. And these are dire times. Now, part of the program I was watching last night is there was three individuals in the prophetic movement. Jonathan Kahn was one of them. Um, and I'll forget who the other two were. But anyway, they're saying we have a window of about four years of reprieve. During those four years, and most Christians are aware of the four years, maybe we'll have eight, but four. They're saying that a lot of Christians are starting to say, oh, well, we have our four years, we can rest. They're going, no, this is the time for us to be praying, and who knows, maybe it's the time for revival. But we have four years that we need to be praying very specifically for this nation, what's going around the world, and for Israel specifically but it starts Wednesday. Okay, pray for our president. Pray for this nation, okay, so that the enemy doesn't have his way in this nation. Okay? Thank you. So Wednesday, 6 p.m. to Saturday. For all that you would like to participate, uh, we'll see how this unfolds. Amen? Anything else? Amen. So everybody knows uh, Potter's House School um, was birthed here in 1995, and we now have a child care center. And every year um, we do a fundraiser. Um, we started last year with this uh, specific fundraiser, thanks to Miss Jackie. Um, and in each of these envelopes, um, all the teachers have kind of written their dreams, their hopes um, of what they need in each room. And we not only um, are regulated, regulated by the state of Vermont, but we're a part of a program called STARS. And it's a step ahead program. And so STARS regulations is here, it's a foundation, but we have stepped above that. And most of these items help us achieve the stars that we need. So there are five stars, we have three. Um, there are other things that help us achieve that, but there are certain things that we need in each of the rooms. And so there are items here for $3.99, and items, um, a couple of them are pretty expensive, a few hundred dollars. Um, so we are just asking, um, whatever the Lord lays upon your heart, you're welcome to go through each of these. There are envelopes on the back table and catalogs if you'd like to look at some of the things that we're looking to acquire. And you can just take one of these labels and stick it on the envelope and place your check or cash inside the envelope. Just make the checks payable to Potter's House School. And um, 
it is tax deductible at the end of the year. We will give you a little receipt, um, but you know we um, are making a big difference um, in the school. The Lord is just really showing us favor these days um, with the state of Vermont, and you know we actually have um, a doctor at Dartmouth. You know, in the beginning days, we were really kind of frowned upon um, and made fun of. Um, but we actually now have doctors that send their residents over to sit in our classes just to watch and see what we're doing because so many children these days um, can't attach to anyone because they've gone through trauma or they've been, you know, left by mommy and daddy. There's a huge drug epidemic here in the state of Vermont. And, you know, all we're doing is loving the children. That's all we're doing is we're just loving them and showing the love of Jesus. So um, praise the Lord for that. We give him all the glory. But um, you're part of the family. And so we appreciate anything that you're willing to do. Anything else? So the Living Word School of Ministry meets every week, uh, Wednesday nights, and this week we are beginning um, a new, uh, a new book called the Eternal Church. Um, and Kathy has said that she wanted to let everybody know that if anybody wanted to join the class, to um, let us know, and we'll tell you what needs to happen. If you guys are interested. Okay. Any other announcements? Yes.